This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. This is the 13th annual cycle for Dr. Emily Ellingson Memorial Bursaries. Emily had cervical cancer and passed away on February 19, 2010, at the age of 31. Applications for two $2,000 bursaries will be accepted until midnight on August 15th. Her husband, Aaron Ellingson, explained... I think it was actually her dad, John Woolley's idea, but the two of us felt like it just uh, represented her attitude and her enthusiasm for life and for just grabbing the world and doing things. It seemed like a good way and very much in the spirit of her education and approach to life. There was a whole generation of kids growing up who knew her that probably had something to do with it. We were hoping that we'd be able to contribute to some of the people who were very young when she was with us and that it would help them remember her. I think it's nice to think that even people that never knew her would be able to think of her fondly because of something like a small financial support that maybe helps them get through their education. Those kinds of money don't necessarily seem huge, but I like to hope that we can arrive at bursary amounts that are genuinely significant and genuinely helpful to the people that we're awarding them to. We just really want to encourage Cortez Island students getting to the end of their high school and looking at opportunities to grab those opportunities, regardless of what they may be. I think that a lot of them can use any encouragement available or any support available because it's a big leap and probably more so now even than it was 25 years ago or 20 years ago because the world is a very expensive place and the cost of education is going up a lot all the time too, just for the actual courses, never mind the living costs. It's really hard to see people that are dear to you fade away in the community that they built with you at a certain point in your life. She was one of the most incurable optimists I've ever met. Not in an unrealistic way, but just in a living in the moment kind of a way. She was a a bright light and a very forward-looking person. I want to say bon vivant. She just had no time for negative energy. She really had no time for holding grudges. I think that she just was a person who took the best from a situation. I met Emily right around her 18th birthday when she had just graduated from Vanier and Courtney. She was back on Cortez for the summer. I met her at a friend's birthday party right down by Hollyhock and we hit it off really fast. She was like a real fast moving kid and I was like not super fast moving young adult who had chosen to live on Cortez and was not doing too much and doing a fair bit of oyster work. She stayed at her dad's house in Courtney for maybe as long as a month after that. And she came to Cortez and she was living in a tiny little camper down by Smolt Bay. She got a job at the Tacamica and she got a job at Hollyhock. She was just like going great guns blazing and super excited to hit the world as an adult. We got together over the next couple of months and she spent a year working and saving money here on Cortez to go back to school. At the end of the year, we decided that it was probably the best thing for me to just stay here and do my slow thing and her to go to the city and carry on with her busy life. She started at UVic doing an undergrad degree. It took us about eight months to get back together after a number of pretty much all visits down there because I still didn't have a very busy life and she still did have a pretty busy life. She was an undergraduate science degree and her her inspiration was her her stepdad, that's Rick Strassman, who is her mom Marion's now former partner. At the time, they lived in Victoria, and now he's back in New Mexico, but he was very encouraging about her pursuing medicine as a great career with a lot of opportunity for a variety of activities and pursuits that would suit various personality types. He just thought 
that was a great thing to do and one that was pretty financially rewarding. She thought all those things sounded pretty good. I moved down there a year after she was there and we got engaged in that year. We got married in 99 here on Cortez. She took five years to do her undergrad and she was through her first year by the time I got to Victoria. A year after that, I got into university and then we finished our degrees at the same time. It was early in her second year and I got a job at the bar at that time. And then later on, then at the nightclub, the restaurant was uh, tolerable for her, but then she got a job at the nightclub and she realized that uh, while people around her were working just fine, serving drinks and getting drinks and everything, that she just couldn't really see well enough to do it. And she had to ask them to put the lights on. So she started down this rabbit hole about figuring out why she couldn't see as well as everybody else. And it was probably a year or two after her initial noticing these things and actually having to give up working in the nightclub. And she carried on working at the bar. But even that is pretty miraculous because by the time they got through figuring out what was going on with her eyesight, she was diagnosed with a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. It's the black and white vision collecting cells in the back of your eyes were deteriorating and she had very little consistent vision. I think she had something like 8% consistent vision or something. The ophthalmologist we were dealing with at the time likened her, her field of consistent vision to basically looking through the center of a straw all the time. She noticed that sort of aligning with some things like when she was a teenager, she noticed that she tripped more than other people on trails, like going down to the lake at night or something like that. Her brother teased her a little bit about that because he accused her of being clumsy quite a lot. That lack of vision resulted in a diagnosis of legal blindness. I guess it worked to her disadvantage, but it also worked to her advantage because she qualified for a bunch more funding and did a really great job of finding the resources available to support her as a visually impaired student. She got through her undergraduate degree with no debt, which was pretty great. Another sort of an anecdote about her taking advantage of her visual impaired status was that she found out that there was a Learn to Row program for specifically visually impaired people. She was able to get into the program and then she loved it. We were getting up at five o'clock every morning and going to row, which we never did before because she was handicapped. It was a running joke. When she finished her degree, she had been doing the medical college admission test and she did pretty reasonably well on that, but not superstar on it. She only got one interview for medical school, which was at McMaster University. She was disappointed because she'd been hoping to go to UBC, but she didn't get into UBC and she didn't get into McMaster. So we moved to Hamilton. We had a running and breakfast group when we were in Hamilton at university that happened for years and she carried on running. We were running together pretty much right up until she couldn't run anymore. And right near the end, like she chose a direction and then she went that direction and she didn't ever go halfway. One of her closest friends was Chloe Gregg and she wasn't there for the birth of her godson. But when Chloe went into labor for the birth of Mia, her my goddaughter, Emily was in Victoria and heard the into labor and she just was like, oh, perfect. So she got on a bus to the ferry and got on a ferry and took the ferry across the back the bus down to women's hospital. Time for Chloe to have the baby. It was just kind of the sort of strange luck that can only be a product of action that sort of exemplifies how things worked out for her a lot of the time. And then that, the whole thing about her finding out she was blind, it may or may not have been part of the reason why she was accepted into the medical school. She made it through medical school at McMaster University, and McMaster University is one of the more innovative programs in the country. It was a three-year program, and it was a problem-based learning program. She really flourished in that environment because she was a very social person and a very inquisitive person, and I think that both of those skills lend themselves to solving problems in social situations. She graduated from McMaster. I think we moved back to Victoria from Hamilton in 2003 because she was accepted into a residency program, which is the natural progression of things. 
at the end of medical school, you have to apply to residency programs at different colleges and universities across the country. She was accepted into UBC's psychiatry residency program, and she was able to do at least the first two years of her program in Victoria with a little bit of travel. I think she went either one day every two weeks, it might have been as often as one day a week over to Vancouver for classwork, but then was able to carry out most of her education and training components in Victoria. Second year is, is the first year of her psychiatry residency. By the time she got through that, she'd convinced enough people in high places that it made sense for her to do it in Victoria, that she was allowed the option to carry on through the psychiatry program at UBC, but mostly based at the Eric Martin Pavilion and through the Royal Jubilee Hospital and their hospital to Vic General in Victoria. So basically, although she went through her residency at UBC, we just moved back to Victoria and carried on living in Victoria. In about 2008, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. She was treated with chemotherapy and treated with radiation. And both the chemotherapist and the radiation doctor were pretty confident that they had dealt with what they thought was a fairly localized cervical lesion or a couple of lesions there. And in 2009, I think it was that we took a big break and went down to Burning Man. And then in 2009, we also celebrated our 10th anniversary in the summer or around that time. I think she sort of noticed some swelling in her shoulder and in her armpits and things like that and basically they just hadn't got there early enough and the cancer had spread and it was pretty metastasized it was all over her at that point she went into treatment she never really questioned any treatment that anybody offered her at any point she was a medical student in a medical program and all her friends were doctors and I was a liberal arts student with a couple of degrees in English and I just really felt underqualified and I felt like my role was just to be there for her and I never did very much research into the medical implications of what she had. Although I think that it was pretty clear from her colleagues' reactions that like that, that was a bad place to be. Anyway, it wasn't that long from when she was diagnosed the second time. She carried on with chemotherapy and radiation again, but in February of 2010, she passed away, metastasized. Even though I'm sure that she knew what was going on, she never really spent a lot of time thinking about dying. We never really spent any time talking about her dying right up to the time when she was in the hospital and the two weeks leading up to her death when she was welcoming all kinds of our friends and her colleagues, our family. She held court in her room there in the Jubilee for the last couple of weeks. She just really didn't spend any time thinking about missing out on anything. And at that point, I guess she was probably three months shy of completing a five-year residency. So they gave her an honorary completion of her residency, being the first psychiatry student to complete her residency entirely in, in Victoria. Sometimes people die and you feel like they didn't try or could have been so much more. And she was just like the opposite of that. I guess it would have been preferable if she could have had another 50 years of life. But cancer is a pretty horrible thing. And it takes all kinds of people all the time. And not very many of them deserve it. I just feel really blessed to have shared 14 years of my life with her. I like to say that she dragged me back into a bigger world because she convinced me that action wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think that I really I made great strides in my life educationally and professionally and probably socially that I wouldn't have made if she wasn't there for me for a good long time. You've been listening to an interview with Aaron Ellingson about his late wife, Dr. Emily Ellingson, and the bursary that has been set up in remembrance of her. You can find guidelines for applying on the timeline or in the written version of this article. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>